Hi, Sebastian Hussein here. You're listening to an archived episode of STEM Wars. You can find newer episodes of STEM Wars at stemwars.buzzsprout.com. That's S-T-E-M-O-I-R-S dot buzzsprout.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else your favorite podcasts are. Thanks very much for listening. Welcome back for another episode of PodQuest, the podcast of the Quest Solar Energy Engineering Research Center. I'm your host, grad student Joe Karras, and with me is my fellow grad student, Sebastian Hussein, and we're here again on the campus of Arizona State University. Yeah, good to be back here with you, Joe. Uh, we're here to explore the narratives of solar, what goes on behind the scenes of solar research, and today we'll get a glimpse of how sometimes that research can spin out into a company. We're here today with April Jeffries, Chief Technical Officer at the startup Reactive Inks, LLC, and current PhD candidate at ASU. Uh, hi, April, how are you? Good, very good. Great. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Yeah. So you've been doing some traveling recently, a little bit of hiking down in Tucson? Yes. Um, if I don't get outside enough, I get really cranky. So... <laughs> That's good. That's mm-hmm. great. Weather's uh, perfect for this time of year. Taking done. advantage so, of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this as the, the East Coast is digging out from the Nor'easter that apparently... Just came out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was seeing snow in, from people's social media streams in, like, Virginia and South Carolina. And I'm we're here in short sleeves, yeah. so we sorry, East that. Coasters. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, we're here to talk to you about science as well. And, sure. Uh, so how did you get into science and engineering? I'm assuming you didn't immediately want to start your own company or anything no i didn't um so when i when i was little i used to watch the weather channel with my grandma and so the most important thing in the world to me was like i want to be a meteorologist but i wasn't doing that great in science um i wasn't really doing great in any of my classes until i was in middle school and i just had this one math teacher i think his name was mr adams something like that and yeah shout out to mr adams (laughs) (laughs) um and he taught us trigonometry and then it all just clicked you like, know. it was, like, almost instantaneous, and that's then I... how most of us get into science and stuff. Yeah. You know, trigonometry. <laughs> and then that sort of opened up the world for, like, science and math for me, and then I just got more and more into it, and then the dream of becoming a meteorologist became more and more real, but once the decision came to go to college, um, I actually realized that that might be, like, maybe not challenging enough, so I decided to go to college and study physics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which college did you um, I went to? to university at Albany in New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I studied um, physics, and then I have a minor in atmospheric science, of course, and mathematics. How did that morph into becoming a, uh, into doing grad school and becoming a, a grad research assistant and mm-hmm. solar photovoltaic world that we're right. in here? So I, when I started college, I don't think I even realized like what getting a PhD was. I thought it was only for medical doctors. I think. Like, it wasn't something that ever crossed my mind. Um, but as I went through college, I started to think about what's next. Um, and I'd always been interested in alternative energy. And I was thinking about, okay, what do I want to do as a career? And my favorite physics class is solid state physics. Um, and that has a huge overlap with solar energy. So it's sort of just like those two things fitting together. Um, so then I looked for a graduate program. I wanted to switch to engineering because I thought it would be more applied um, rather than physics. So I looked for material science, uh, materials engineering programs that focused on solar, and that's what brought me to ASU. And uh, that's what led you to working with, I believe, Christiana Hansberg, uh, the director of Quest Right. First. So when I first showed up here, um, I started working with Dr. Hansberg. Um, and then after I was here for a few months, my current advisor, Mariana Bertoni, started working at ASU, and she needed some students. So you actually predate your advisor. I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a super, super senior in our group. <laughs> yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the first projects you were working on, and how um, did you get to those? So I worked on a bunch of different projects throughout my time at ASU. 
um, when Mariana first uh, started at ASU, she had funding for working on a special type of thin film solar cell, um, and you do uh, high resolution x-ray characterization by going to a national laboratory outside of Chicago. Um, so I worked on that for about a year. Yeah, so that was at uh, Argonne National Yeah, Argonne National, National yeah, Laboratory. Yeah, previous episode, we were talking to another grad student, Taryn Neitzel, mm-hmm. who I think is working on the current iteration of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so after that, um, then it started to morph into, okay, what are my interests? And, and I sort of had this idea that carrier selective contacts, solar cells, um, basically just a special type of solar cell that could potentially give you higher efficiency than um, the current standard diffuse junction solar cells that are commonly used. I was characterizing gallium nitride grown at low temperatures um, on silicon, and some of that had to be electrical characterization. And usually for electrical characterization, you need some sort of electrode or metallic contacts. Um, And I was running into a huge barrier with that. Um, I wasn't able to get what you call low resistance ohmic contacts without going to high temperatures. Um, And that sort of led me into two other projects. One where I was using um, electromagnetic induction to selectively heat up um, just the metal parts. And then... Um, and so heating them up allows for uh, a better contact. So yeah. So let's so so back up a yeah. second. So okay. we've got some semiconductor material, right? Right. This is right. stuff that absorbs the light and creates electrons. Mm-hmm. Free, yeah, freeze the electrons up. And then you need to extract it from the solar cell. And you need a metal contact that's sitting on top to do that. Right. Yeah, it has to be like low enough electrical resistance right. so that you don't lose a lot of a lot of your current. Um so yeah, so we're trying to do that at low temperatures and hard. which is hard exactly, if you yeah. yeah. Low temperature is kinda kinda difficult. It's very difficult, especially for high band gap semiconductors, which we won't get into that, but um it's challenging. So we had to come up with some interesting ways to do it. One was using electromagnetic induction which um, just selectively heats up the most conductive components, uh, such as the metal. Same way, like an inductive, like, yeah. or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like an inductive stove. Uh-huh, right. just like that. So you're able to heat up just the metal uh, without affecting the rest of the, the temperature-sensitive other material or something. Right, the okay. idea is that you can heat it up um, so fast that you can do it before the heat... Um, diffuses into the rest mm. of the material. So you can do it okay. very localized and very quickly. As opposed to like sticking it in a furnace. Yeah, as opposed to sticking the whole entire device into a furnace at four, five hundred, six hundred degrees. Um so for gallium nitride, I think we were trying to get to about four hundred and fifty degrees Celsius. Really high, like higher than you would cook stuff in your oven. I hope so. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I um... know oh, I'm not that great of a chef, so <laughs> <laughs> my dad taught me how to burn water, so <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think um, I, we were able to get to about 450 degrees Celsius with our induction furnace within just a few seconds. Um, yeah, so it, it was pretty interesting. But uh, at the same time, my advisor, Mariana Bertoni, had met another professor, a new professor at ASU that works in the mechanical engineering department. And he works with um, special 3D printers. Um, inkjet printers, drop-on-demand printers, and he was working with this special reactive ink that um, prints precursors to a chemical reaction and forms pure silver at temperatures below 100 degrees Celsius. So Mariana quickly um, sort of was like, April, start working with them. Start this as a side project. Um, So yeah, so we started I started branching out and working on this weird new material and characterizing it. Um, 
Uh, sorry, could you mm-hmm. explain to us what a precursor to a reaction sure. is? Sure. So normally when you put metal on a solar cell, you're doing it by putting basically little pieces of metal that are stuck together in a paste. And you put that on top of your solar cell, usually like you screen print it. Um, and so when you look at it, it looks like it looks like metal. Um, like the paste that you put on the screen just looks like metal paste, like metal paint or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and the reactive silver ink that we're using looks like water and there are no particles in it. It's just liquid. So there's no silver particles floating around in it. Um, it's all dissolved. Right. So there are silver ions in it. Um, and once you print it, once it's exposed to the atmosphere, it undergoes a chemical reaction and begins to reduce and precipitate silver. And then there's still a little bit of extra material left over, but it can all be evaporated out at low temperature, like below 100 Mm. degrees Celsius. And then you're just left with pure silver. And this is an extremely low temperature process for forming um, low resistance contacts. So this has um, huge potential. And we saw one area, um, one really, really great area to use this is on silicon heterojunction solar cells because they're Mm -hmm. Um, high-efficiency silicon devices, um, pretty easy to fabricate. And the biggest problem with them is that they use so much silver per solar cell. It's Mm -hmm. like 200 milligrams of silver per solar cell, um, which is twice the amount that normal silicon solar cells use. Um, And they were still having resistance problems because the paste, the silver paste just wasn't good enough. You have to do it all below 200 degrees Celsius or else you degrade one of the layers in the solar cell. So like, you know, so, so the, this is a particular type of solar cell yeah. that's pretty high efficiency, pretty easy to make, you know, using technology that exists today, but the, one of the caveats is that you have to do all of that below 200 C. Right. And it would be cheap because it's silicon-based, but uses so much silver that that bumps that's, up the cost, I'm right. assuming. So yeah. So okay. if you could engineer the contact to be better, right. to be better, you could, you could save some money on silver, you could make them better performing. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. So how much of a reduction in silver uh, usage would this uh, sort of printing process use? Um, so with a conservative estimate, um, so like I said, the silicon heterojunction solar cells use about 200 milligrams of silver per solar cell. With our reactive ink, we can reduce that to below 50 milligrams per solar cell. Yep. So okay. huge reduction. Four times. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's pretty huge opportunity there. Um yeah, so, so I've been working on that for a few years, and we made some mini solar cells, and they performed pretty well. Um, we put them through just some damp heat reliability test. Uh, mm-hmm. The damp heat test is just a, an industry standard reliability test that you do on solar cells before anyone says, oh, okay, well, you know, it's it, we, what would you say? Like, it weeds out failure. Yeah. Like, it's not the, it's not saying that this, solar cell will last 20 years, but it's like one of the first steps that you have to take to say, okay, this has potential to last. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see. So you've made some samples, mm-hmm. and they work pretty well using this new metal that's a five-fold decrease in silver compared to the conventional stuff, right? Right. And you've got some evidence that it'll last a long time, mm-hmm. which is necessary for, for solar stuff, because we want them to last for decades <laughs> outside. Right. And then you, you, you see some commercial potential for it, right? Right. So, so, so talk about that. Talk about, like, okay. I mean, at what point did you, you and your group of, and your collaborators decide that you guys had had some commercial applicability? Or, right. Or, I think it was after we made our, our first good mini solar cell and we didn't even fully optimize it. Um, and it still worked pretty well. And it was just a huge reduction in silver consumption. Um, 
And then from there, we started thinking about it, like, oh, how, you know, is this something that we could actually commercialize? Um, and so this was not really the focus on my mind. In my mind, I was just working on my PhD, and I was working on this project. But um, my advisor, I think she was thinking more seriously about it. Sure. And yeah, and then at some point, we had a conversation. We're like, do you think that maybe we should get more serious about this and check it out, see what the commercial opportunity is? Mm. Um, and so we had heard about the National Science Foundation, the NSF i program. Um, and this is basically a program that takes scientists and engineers that are working on something, you know, more like a research level. And they, they take it outside of the lab and they find out whether or not their technology can solve a problem that actually exist in the world or if you're just doing that thing where you're like in your lab and you're making solutions <laughs> right. for things that aren't really a problem right yeah yeah i, mm -hmm. I had an interesting conversation um about the i program with uh some representatives from nsf and they were telling me that it, it was a uh, they started the program because congress came to nsf and said hey we're giving you all this funding uh, what is the actual commercial applicability of this funding? <laughs> and there's always where the aspect, <laughs> right, where, where is our investment? <laughs> where are our flying cars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where are our hoverboards? <laughs> yeah. Solar cells with different metal. Right. <laughs> and so this program was really about um, how can we get scientists to think about market discovery? And mm -hmm. yeah, so, so you've gotten to go through that process, I'm assuming then. Yes, but, we okay. went through the application process um, and we were selected to go through the program. Um, and we went through the program over the summer of 2017, so just a few months ago. Oh, very recent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so what um, what was that program like? Tell us about um, uh, sort of the week-to-week -week, uh, duties or activities. Okay. Yeah. So touching on what you said earlier about how Congress sure. came to the National Science Foundation and said, <laughs> like, where's the, where are the applications? The instructors for the NSF i program, they're not very nice to you. <laughs> they're very, <laughs> okay. very constructive in their criticism. And it's very much like a boot camp. Okay. Um, so you do get the feeling that they're they're trying to push you to like make the most of your technology because they know that if you made it to this program, maybe there is commercial potential, and maybe you have absolutely no idea what you're doing to commercialize <laughs> something. But sure. they're gonna push you as fast and as hard as they can, um, so that you can sort of stand on your own two feet and mm. and become an entrepreneur. So what <laughs> kind of direction is that that they give you, or what kind of criticisms? Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So short, we'll it's there. a six. -week program six weeks six weeks they give you fifty thousand dollars and you have one class each week and here's the bigger part you have to interview over 100 potential customers um and you use the fifty thousand dollars basically to go travel around the country and meet with as many of your potential customers as possible and what i learned through the program was like okay what is what is the problem that's out there who has the problem what are they willing to do to solve the problem mm. is it really that painful for them? Or are they willing to live with it? And then we got into like the numbers, like what amount of savings would you need to offer somebody in their manufacturing process in order for them to adopt a change in their manufacturing process? So yeah. speaking purely hypothetically, sure. how much of a dollar savings in silver costs would oh. you have to save? I mean, um, so we, this is literally the question you're trying to, you're going right, to so that, answer. That is exactly like the question we're trying to answer. And it, it was interesting. Um, we only traveled around in the United States, mm -hmm. so we didn't have as much access to a lot of the solar cell manufacturing companies. Because um, a lot of that is in China? Oh, China Europe, and Europe, right? yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we did learn a lot. We learned um, we learned that there is a huge pain point for metallization. <laughs> um, we learned that if, I think there was a one cent per watt savings, that's 
pretty good incentive. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. compelling. So let's put that in context. Okay. For a watt, for a solar panel, basically, is what, like, what percentage of the overall cost? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I believe uh, utility scale. Oh man, I don't want to yeah, say it, incorrect numbers. Yeah. But there's definitely a difference between utility scale and residential scale. What you can get a solar panel for on the open market these days. Sure. It is. We're speaking in March of 2018. Um, I think I was looking at something okay. in the neighborhood of 40 cents per watt whole solar panel. Uh-huh. Right, so you're saving one cent per watt. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like 40 for a whole for the whole, for the whole thing. thing. Okay. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So you're saving what like. Six percent. Yeah, three, three percent. Three percent. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. This really doesn't seem like <laughs> a lot. Math, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing this live. Okay. <laughs> right. Nope. That's why we have Python in MATLAB. I know. <laughs> anyway. Three percent. Sure. Overall cost of a solar panel. Okay. So that's pretty thin margins that they're operating on if one cent per watt is uh, incentive enough. Right. So the solar industry is extremely competitive and and that can lead to low margins and having sure. low margins is risky um, for the manufacturers. Yeah. So if you can help them uh, increase their margins, they're extremely willing to change their process. Right. So that's a really great environment for new innovations, I guess, too, uh, like right. a program. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so have you done anything like this before where you just kind of cold call people <laughs> walk into an office and be like hey what are your problems and how are people receptive to that or? Uh, no I haven't done that before I'm sort of shy I don't mm. really like talking to strangers <laughs> this in a way was not my worst nightmare but <laughs> super outside of my comfort zone yeah um so <laughs> I was really surprised that I could call people that I didn't know at all and I could just explain to them, hi, I'm April, I'm from the NSF i program, and I, 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 had it, I had it down pretty good a few months ago. Like, I had a quick thing that I would say that would <laughs> yeah. basically be like, I'm doing this program and I'm trying to learn. Yeah. Uh, do you have time for an interview? I was surprised at how many people were like, sure. And some people would be like, oh, okay, I only have 15 minutes, and then we would end up talking for like two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, people, once they realize that you're not trying to sell them something and that you're just asking them questions about how they feel <laughs> and what they think is important, they're like... Yeah. All on board. <laughs> yeah. People love talking about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. No. And oh. right. We're not there trying to sell anything. We're not even supposed to um, supposed to talk about your technology because that would be biasing your mm. interview. Um, you set up each interview as an experiment almost. Like you have a hypothesis going in and you have questions that you ask to either validate or invalidate your hypothesis. Mm. And then from that, that helps structure your business plan. And so it's just like evidence-driven entrepreneurship. Sounds like a scientific approach. It is, which is why I think I like it. (laughs) Validating hypotheses and using using those. Right. So I never, ever, ever... Update your research plan. Right. I never thought of myself as like an entrepreneur. Going through the ICOR program? Well, like before that, I never thought that would be something that I would do um, for like a lot of reasons. But but after seeing that it is a sort of scientific process, that made it a lot more appealing and a lot more like achievable in a way. Like if you can use a methodology to structure your decisions and this all makes sense. I just never looked at it that way before the I-Corps program. So it was really eye-opening. Instead of guessing what people want, um, you can just ask them first. <laughs> and it's, it's used like common sense, but... So the whole idea is let's yeah. not design a product that we think is going to have a you know, like market mm-hmm. potential. Let's actually go figure out what the opportunity in the market is. Yeah. And does does our technology actually solve any of those problems? Or yes or no? Can we modify it? Can we tweak it and turn it into a solution? Right. So what's the answer for, for uh yours? so the answer the answer was yes. We still proving so I I don't think I said this before, but 
the solar industry is very risk adverse. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to implement any new processes, even if it does save them money and increases their margins. You need to prove to them that it is reliable. Um, so we're in the process of going through a bunch of reliability tests with our our current process. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that's our that's our next step. And then after that, we're hoping to demo it to some companies and gauge their interest. At this point, you've formed an LLC. Right. You, as CTO, right. while you're simultaneously finishing finishing your thesis, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Is that like, I mean, how, <laughs> how do you juggle all that? How does that, how does that work? <laughs> Is it okay to, feel, to say I feel like I'm going to die sometimes? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I it's very busy, and a lot of my dissertation work has been falling to the bottom lately, mm. um, just because the entrepreneurship is faster paced and has more deadlines. Um, right now for me, graduation is my next like milestone. I like the less time I spend on that work, the further I just push graduation. Mm-hmm. And, but you yeah. still need funding for the company. So yeah, but I still through. need funding for the right. company. So right now I'm working pretty hard to get more funding. Yeah, through a few so different like ways. Early stage investors, basically, right? Like, right, early stage investors. Um, were, so uh, I applied to two programs through ASU. So there are a bunch of investors that want to invest in ASU student-run startups. There are two programs. Um, one is the ASU Venture Devils, and this is for any ASU student, faculty, or any community member that has a startup, and you pitch, and you can win up to, I think, $20,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just went through a pitch for that, and I made it through the first round. Um, in our thank you awesome. yeah. yeah so um, the pitch the real one will be next month mm-hmm. so hopefully that goes well and I also made it into this really cool course that we mm-hmm. have at ASU it's called New Venture Challenge and it's sort of like you go through your pitch with actual investors okay. and they critique your pitch and so these are people that invest in these are like this is like their real life job okay. the instructor okay. for the class um, was in like the Forbes top 40 under 40 mm. a few years wow. ago and he just has a lot of investor friends like creates companies creates companies so he just invites his friends to come to the class every week and it's just like a workshop where you work on presenting your technology or your business idea the most effectively to investors yeah and then we have at the end of that this this one's a lot more competitive so mm. at the end of that you're competing for up to one hundred thousand dollars. and so this money if you were to win it or mm-hmm. have, i mean Win it? Like, I mean, are there, are there like, or it's awarded? There, so for the for venture devils for this for the up to twenty thousand dollars, there are no strings attached. Okay. Like nothing. It's just yeah. So you don't have to promise equity of the company right. or, or anything. But okay. for the new venture challenge course, there are some strings attached. It's not. It, I don't know the details of it right sure. off the top of my head, but it's still worth. Yeah, it's still worth sure. competing for. And so, yeah. if you were to win, you know, something on the order of mm-hmm. tens to potentially a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Programs. (laughs) What sort of things would you be using it to do with your? Um, It depends on the amount of money. So we have a lot of legal formations that we need to do, and that will cost us around ten to fifteen thousand dollars. So I'm hoping to patent patent protection of your. Uh, some of it. Formation. Company formation, patent protection, um, legal advice Hmm. on IP and that sort of thing. Um, And then if we were to get uh, larger amounts of money, we would use that for some equipment that we need that we don't privately own. Okay. So So for larger scale printing and more reliability reliability Mm -hmm. testing, things like that. That's correct. You've got to do all that while also... While also trying to finish my PhD. (laughs) (laughs) But fortunately, my PhD work is closely related to this new venture. So 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 there's overlap. Yeah. So like while you're (laughs) crafting a pitch for, you know... 
your value proposition isn't necessarily part of your PhD, all the work that goes into demonstrating like the reliability of the process. Right, like my, my dissertation is going to include a section on corrosion rates, okay. which is important in reliability, which goes into the value proposition. Sure. But they're just on completely different ends of like how you would talk about it. So in a couple so. years, we'll see you as, I don't know, what, the, the, the maven of the solar silver. <laughs> the solar. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's good to visualize. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you're um, well into starting your own company and on the other side of the i program, um, what are your key takeaways for maybe other students? Uh, is entrepreneurship and for everyone or yeah, yeah. Um, so I th my key takeaways from the going through the i program um, for other grad students that think that they might have a technology that they can commercialize is um, yes try to go through the i program um, it will get you moving in a way that nothing else will <laughs> um, it is very fast-paced it is extremely demanding you you will not have time to be working in your lab while you're doing this um, it will take take you out of your safe lab space and put you in a different mindset. Um, and at the end of it, you you will have a good idea of whether or not you have something that you can at least tweak, or if you need to scratch the whole idea. And, just... and there's a lot of personal growth through that yeah. space right. as well. I mean, so you, mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about getting outside of your comfort zone. I mean, yes. What sort of personal changes? I'm just a lot more comfortable talking to strangers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, like I mean, public speaking. Public thing. speaking. I still, I still get nervous with public speaking, but I'm sure. getting better at it. Yeah. yeah, I think just knowing knowing how to approach people and knowing how to ask the right questions and setting up your your entrepreneurial questions as scientific mm. method, yeah. um, like cool. hypothesis validation. Yeah, okay. so that's good. How about like I mean, yeah. communication, communication, from, uh, like, crafting a message standpoint. Is that, I mean, because yes, it's you're, a, so it's so you're different. Still, your right, like your, I mean, practically your PhD thesis down to a to to one, one pitch and one, one sentence, one sentence or one slide or something. I mean, what's that like? Yeah, right. So learning how to go from what you see as like extremely technical information that you think is extremely valuable um, to realizing like, okay, what is the the quick, like one sentence thing that you're solving? Uh, you just have to think very differently. Like I've learned how to. I'm still learning how to not mm. speak so technically, mm. but it is a skill that I have gained. So now I can communicate to normal people, <laughs> like anybody, pretty much anybody. I can sort of get the idea across of what I do and why it might be valuable. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do that before. Mm. I would talk about maybe too much about the chemical reaction yeah. or maybe too much about resistivity sure. or maybe about composition of things. Yeah. Yeah, science communication is definitely something a mm -hmm. lot of uh, scientists need to mm -hmm. to work on and improve. And hey, maybe somebody could start a podcast about that hey. or something. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, it's you. been great hearing been about this process. A, yeah. It's been great to get a look into what, what entrepreneurial science actually, actually looks like or, you know, yeah. sounds like. Right. Mm -hmm. So best of luck with everything. Good luck with these new pitches coming up and with the dissertation and Thank you. Written for you. Yes, so. I'll be done soon. Yes, yeah, great. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you again for tuning in, and uh, hopefully we'll have the next episode of PodQuest uh, coming up soon, talking with uh, some other graduate students about their work. PodQuest is a production of the graduate students of the Quest Engineering Research Center. Find out more about Quest at quest.asu.edu. That's Q-E-S-S-T dot A-S-U dot E-D-U. 
Any opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this material are the opinions of the authors and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Science Foundation and U.S. Department of Energy. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time.